in the back corner <laughs> when I'm not presenting. Listening in. And listen in. Hey everybody, welcome to Bash University Live here on Tuesday night. Take a quick break, watch John Cruz's on the Tokyo rig. Be a part of the show, get some chances to win some awesome prizes. Fast you go. You know, we didn't have that back then. And, and, dude, it, it can just... That text thread gives me so much energy. I mean, like I'm dialed. Everybody out there in the bass fishing world, I am your host, Rich, on another Bass University Live. Uh, we have an exciting show here for you guys. We're going to be recapping some of the recent tournaments uh, on the Bassmaster Trail and the MLF Trail. We're lucky enough to have Spencer Shuffield joining us on today's show to recap how things went at the Tackle Warehouse Um the title uh, up there on the St. Lawrence River, where he grabbed himself a cool 200 G's. He got a tackle warehouse title belt, all kinds of good stuff. If you know anything about the St. Lawrence River, the place is healthy, to say the least. It just puts out gigantic bags of smallmouth consistently. And this tournament actually went out of Messina. So it was a little further north on the river than we saw the Bassmaster event go out of, which was down in Clayton. So the the fishing was a little bit different, but the weights were just about the same. Um, they, they, they really brought in big bags again. Big, big smallmouth show up every time any of the pro tours go to this amazing fishery. So we'll be excited to talk to Spencer Shuffield in today's second segment of the show as always in the studio we have uh our whole crew hanging out here with us we have the wonderful miss jocelyn miss jocelyn how you doing good how are you oh i'm doing great excited for another another bash you live to to talk to our people and learn a little bit about how one of the recent tournaments was was won on the saint lawrence river I did not watch it, but I heard it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard right, and Spencer's going to be a great guest. He comes from a long uh, line of fishermen. He's the son of a pro angler, uh, Ron Shuffield. So if, 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 if genetics are anything uh, to, be, to be said in fishing, this, this guy's got it. Uh, Spencer really, really has followed in his father's footsteps, and he's, he's doing well. He had a great career as a co-angler before he stepped into the professional, the, the, the pro side of things, getting up to the front of the boat, and uh, we're going we're gonna to break all that down with him. Also hanging out with us today, we got our amazing marketing expertise man, Scott, in the building. How are you doing today? Good morning, all. Yeah, excellent. Can't wait to see uh, if he made the run, right? All the way from Messina down south. That's going to be interesting to hear about. Right. And last time we talked, we said that, or you said that if you ever have the option on that river to go to the lake or stay up, you're always going down, right? Got to go to the lake <laughs> every, every time. Got to go to the lake. So we'll see. You know, we don't know exactly where everybody was fishing in that event. There was, uh, there's a lot of river to be covered there. So 
We'll hear from Spencer on how it went down from him. Maybe he can fill us in a little bit on how some of the other guys did. Also, uh, this past weekend, there was the Bassmaster event up on Lake Oahe, Hawaii, Ahahi. And big congratulations to Austin Felix. He grabbed himself his first blue trophy. That's not his first accomplishment, though. Austin is a Bassmaster Rookie of the Year winner as well. So, you know, we kind of knew this one was coming with Austin. He's an incredible angler. He's got some some unique skill sets as far as the smallmouth fishing goes. And he grabbed himself a blue trophy at a really, really dynamic event up there on Lake Oahe. How were the weights at Oahe? So they weren't they weren't super stacked all the way up. The okay. guys the guys up at the top caught them pretty good. You know, there was a lot of bags between fifteen and twenty pounds, some bags over twenty pounds, twenty-three pound uh, bags of smallmouth came in. But as you got down, they kind of petered off a little bit. They 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 fell off. And it's kind of surprising because last year, a lot of guys pre-fished that lake. Okay. You know, they went they went up to check it out because some of the new Elite Series guys had never been there. So they went out to see what a lake Oahe was, how it fishes. And the words that I was getting from all those guys was that last year, last summer when they were there, it was a beatdown. You know, they just, everybody caught them. So, you know, we're not sure or they're was not sure. the time of the year the same or? It, you know, it was it was a little bit more spread out depending on when guys did their pre-fish. But, okay. you know, from from my from from what I'm hearing from the people that I talked to is that the lake, it fished kind of small in this event and that there was, you know, a section of the lake that really everybody was focused on. And when you get that many of the best anglers in the world and they're all working on the yeah. same fish, they're going to get they're going to get cut up a little bit. They, yeah. they were maximizing that 50 yard uh, distance circle. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If you watched if you watched live for that event, there was there was a lot of fishing going on relatively close to each other you know yeah, we saw talking to each other back and forth <laughs> on the boats what are you using and yeah it was pretty surprising on live how how open they were about what they were doing because they were all struggling at one point right 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 what, what an immense body of water to fish it it is it's 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 absolutely huge and it actually it sets up kind of like a river you yeah. know it it it's it's really a really unique place to fish south dakota a lot of a lot of buffaloes a lot of all kinds of awesome stuff out there um one of the things that I liked about seeing this smallmouth tournament was that I saw a lot of big rods playing. I saw a lot of bait casting setups, big hook sets, Carolina rig fishing, all that kind of stuff. And that's always fun to see something different in in the smallmouth tournaments other than just the drop shot, you know, upside down rod. There was there was some guys throwing some big rods at him, heavy line, heavy weight, boat flipping, five pounders like we <laughs> yeah, talked about. Just out of the boat you know. a couple times before you get in the middle. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. awesome to watch. You know, when you, when you when you try to bounce a five-pound smallmouth and you hit it off the side of the boat and then it goes back in the water and then you eventually get it in the boat, you're meant to win that one. You know <laughs> what I mean, Scott? That's You know when the train's rolling that way that it's your tournament to lose. And Austin Felix did not lose it. Uh, he, he held on throughout the he, he held on on the fourth day to to come out on top he had some guys nipping at his heels throughout the day that really are incredible anglers and smallmouth specialists um behind him to the likes of the johnstons and seth fighter and so it's a heck of an accomplishment uh austin is practicing today for the next event for the elite series which is lacrosse wisconsin uh mississippi river so we were not able to get him but we are excited to talk to Spencer Shuffield, who just got his 
Tackle Warehouse title belt and a cool 200G. So that's all coming up. As always, guys, we got to thank some of the awesome companies that we work with here. We're coming to you live from the Tackle Direct studios. Tackle Direct is an awesome, awesome way to get your baits and get them quickly. They've gotten me out of jams many, many times. They will get your baits to your doorstep the next day, guaranteed. They're, they're, they're rock solid when it comes to that. Also, our friends over at Hobie Eyewear, they make some amazing shades. I rock mine every single day. The models that they have, some of them float. So if you're having your sunglasses fall off your head, reaching over, getting for fish, jumping in the water on the weekends, partying, it's all good. Your shades are going to float. Hobie Eyewear, they're comfortable. They're great lenses. You got to check them out. Our friends over there at Aquaview. Uh, Aquaview makes an amazing product to see what's going on under the water. And places like Oahe and St. Lawrence River and Champlain, where the water's real clear, and you want to see what's going on down there, get yourself an Aquaview, man. They, they make a product that really, really shows you what's going on in the world below that we're we're playing in the fish's arena when it comes down to it. It's always an away game for us. It's a home game for them. So getting a camera down there to see what's going on is pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And our friends over at Bass Boats for Sale, BassBoatForSale.com. They got a boat for every budget. Whether you're looking to buy or sell, check them out. They will help you in either one of those avenues. If you're, if you're looking to get in a, a tournament-ready bass boat, that's what they specialize in. All the boats are highly vetted. They make sure that they are good boats going out the door. So check them out. Buy or sell at BassBoatForSale.com. And all the other companies that we work with here at the Bass University, we appreciate you. And we appreciate all of our viewers that tune in with us on a weekly basis as well. Uh, Miss Jocelyn, am I missing anybody or are we good to no, roll? No, you're, you're not missing anyone. I just also wanted to mention that there's a few things going on with the Ike Foundation that okay. I wanted to bring up. Yep. Uh, we have our annual kayak tournament on October 2nd, um, and this year you could win a kayak. So I would go over, register, um, all proceeds go to the Ike Foundation uh, we also just announced and opened our ticket window for our annual scholarship dinner. So if you're looking for a little beef and beer with some really awesome baskets and a great way to mingle with people, uh, go head over to our Eventbrite and purchase some tickets. Guys, support the Ike Foundation. What they do is amazing work. It's so important to keep getting kids involved in the sport of fishing. They're the lifeblood. They're the ones that are going to be driving the car for the next 50 years to keep our sport going. So check out the Ike Foundation. There's a lot of different ways you can help. Um, and it sounds like this is a great way to get involved. The annual kayak tournament is coming up. So check them out. Guys, we are going to take a quick commercial break here. And then we're going to roll back in with the man that just got himself a fresh belt, Spencer Shuffield. Stay tuned for this quick commercial break. And we will be coming right back. BassBoatForSale.com is the world's premier bass boat listings business. 
we focus on driving premium web traffic to our main website, business Facebook page, business Instagram, and our business oh, YouTube channel, providing your bass boat listings the best buying traffic and top-notch exposure. Whether you need to sell your bass boat or are looking to buy a bass boat, it's simple. We give boats exposure so buyers shop and sellers list. One-time listing fee, no commission, and boats list until they sell. BassBoatForSale.com. Check it out. AquaView, the leader in underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for, catch more fish, have more fun. Aquaview, seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That they're made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod, 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick. Every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out during a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I've found that can withstand my hook set. Boom, goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together, the One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. Right, welcome back to Bass University Live. For everybody that stuck with us through that quick commercial, we appreciate you. Check those companies out you saw, man. Help us help us help them. They're the ones that pay the bills. If you like watching Bass U Live and listening, we gotta support those awesome companies. So we have right now coming up a man who just won himself two hundred thousand dollars in the tackle warehouse title. He's 33 years old from Arkansas, and he has been referred to by some of his buddies as a flat-out fish catcher. He comes from a fishing family. His dad was a pro angler. He was accomplished as a co-angler and stepped over to the front of the boat, and he picked up right where he left off as a co-angler. Now he's winning major titles. Um, he's got eight top tens. Eight top tens this year, and it might be more if I miscounted. Forgive me, but from what I count, he's got eight top tens in affiliated tournaments this year. You know, so to say he's on a hot streak is not even, it's not even, it doesn't even give him full credit. Um, with no further ado, I want to bring on here the man who just won himself 
$200,000 with a fishing rod in his hand, Spencer Shuffield. Spencer, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, we're we're doing fine. Thanks for doing good. Thanks for taking some time today, coming on with us from the airport. Um, you're flying out of Albany because you just won up there on the St. Lawrence River, man. How are you feeling? Uh, I don't know. It still hasn't really sunk in yet, I guess, just because I've been so busy. Had all that day five stuff to do yesterday out on the river and uh, just, you know, all the media stuff and everything. So it uh, it, it hasn't quite sunk in yet. I imagine it will sometime this week while I'm just sitting around the house and kids are at school and the wife's back at work. <laughs> so I'll get to think about it a lot and go back and watch some of the live footage and stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Man, you, you you got it done at the St. Lawrence River, and that is that is not right in your backyard. You know, you you come from Arkansas, and you've been you've been doing this for for quite a while. It's not your first major event, but how does it feel to to get over that hump? Like now, do do you feel like you've checked off a box in in your tournament fishing career? And if so, like what's next, man? What where are you going from here? Well. I do. I mean, you know, I mean, it was the only thing that was eluding me was a national win and uh, to get it done. Cause I've been close so many times, you know, but to get it done and actually be a championship is just phenomenal. You know, I mean, dream come true for my first one to be a championship, you know, it's uh, it feels great. It really does. Um, going forward, I'm looking forward to the Bass Pro Tour next year. I'm actually going to fit. I mean, I'm going to fish the Bass Pro Tour and I'm going to fish the Pro Circuit both. Uh, I look forward to fishing, you know, that 17 to 20 tournaments next year, uh, being on the road, going from tournament to tournament. Uh, I'm so looking forward to that. So you're a tournament junkie, man. It seems like you just can't get enough of it. And, you know, from the time that you could get involved in it, you've, you've, you've had success, man. So moving on to the BPT, now are you invited to that because of this win or did you qualify throughout the, the circuit season? How does that work? I qualified. It was a top 10 in points and since I finished third this year and in the points overall is, is how I qualified for it. Uh, that was the goal from day one. I mean, I would have loved to have won AOI, but the main deal was to stay in that top 10 so I could go to the Bass Pro Tour for next year and get to fish two two trails uh, so yeah i mean i just love that format as many as you can catch counts i just like being able to catch as many as i can in a day i don't i don't i don't have a problem with the five you know your best five obviously that's the way it's always been the way i've always done it but this so many times in tournament fishing for me in a tournament i'm catching lots of two or three pounders and i leave them to go try and catch a big one, you know, in that format, I don't have to leave them anymore. I can just sit there and just keep whacking them, you know, and they all count. And so, uh, it's just like up at the St. Lawrence, you know, I was in an area where I was catching anywhere from 25 to 40 smallmouth a day, all averaging three and a half pounds, three and a half to four pounds, you know, in that format, that would have been superb. Uh, so I'm just looking forward to getting over there and fishing in that format. Yeah, so I noticed something in your in your bass fan uh, background is that you like to finesse fish. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's that's my deal. I mean, 
believe me, I love catching them on a flipping rod, 65-pound braid with the best of them. But uh, I would rather catch 30 pounds on a spinning rod as I would 30 pounds on a casting rod any day of the week. It's just I just love catching them on spinning tackle. I've been obsessed with it since I was a little, a little kid. So where what is that does that does that revert back to where like you started fishing your home lake what what got you so so comfortable with the spinning rod in your hand Well my dad when he fished professionally he he roomed with a guy named Fred Bland we called him Taco As far as I know he's the one that invented the shaky head pretty much he lived on Logan Martin this was back in the late 80s early 90s you know when they met and started staying together um so dad, he was just a jig fisherman. I mean, that was it. They, they were either going to eat a jig or they weren't coming over the side of his boat. And it was miserable growing up fishing that way. Uh, yeah, we won nearly every tournament we fished together. When I was a kid growing up, I mean, you won everything, but you only caught like six or eight fish a day. It was just, it was brutal. I mean, you know, growing up only catching two bass a day. I mean, my, I can remember as a kid, you know, going down there and fishing all day and I'd catch two fish, one be a four-pounder, one be a seven-pounder. You know, I mean, it sounds awesome, but there's only two, two I'd catch all day. And it was just, it, it wasn't, I mean, I was addicted to it. I mean, I had the passion for it, the love for it, the desire, but dad introduced me when I was probably about six or seven is when he started throwing a shake head a little bit. The lake I grew up on, the gray, which is where he still lives. Uh, I lived there till I was 20. It's, it's full of deep grass it was at the time and you know that's not when you throw a shaky hit you throw it on rocks and bluff banks that's what we thought back in the day you know so we would go to the other lakes that had that kind of stuff in it to throw a shaky hit like Derrick's, Queen, Gillum, Greeson lakes an hour and a half from the house and we'd catch like a hundred a day and I was obsessed with getting all of those spots when mm. the first time I can remember throwing a shaky hit when I was like six years old we went to a lake called Lake Derrick's we must have caught 150 bass that day and so many four and five pounders throwing a spinning rod. And from that point on, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is the deal for me, you know, when I was like six or seven years old. So I've always been obsessed with it ever since catching fish on spinning rod. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome stuff, man. Everybody likes to catch numbers of fish, big fish all mixed in, but you're, you're a, you're a big guy. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're six two, six three, six maybe six four. I I don't know. You're not a you're not a a small guy. And usually when you see a a, a big dude like that, you expect to see him with the the one ounce punching rod, slinging a frog, you know that whole deal. You know we know you can't do yeah. it up there at the St. Lawrence, but you know the the spinning rod obviously gets it done gets it done just as good, um, if not better, in a lot of those scenarios. So let's talk a little bit about St. Lawrence and how you were doing it, man. What was your, what was your deal? How did you tap into your pattern? You know, what got you on to the schools of fish that you, that you found and ultimately got the win for you? Well, uh, <clears throat> I went there last year. We had tour event there and, and I caught them really good the first day, but the second day I just, you know, running all the way down there to Ontario from Messina nearly to the lake, you know, you just, you only got three and a half to four hours to fish depending on the weather. Uh, you get bad rotation you're gonna get in trouble pretty quick it's hard to recover from that like you would a typical eight hour day you know i can have a bad three or four first hours of a tournament in a typical eight hour day when i'm only running no further than 20 miles and uh, i can work myself out of it but there you just can't do it 
uh, last year, Canada was off limits for us. This year, we could go to Canada, so it just looked better over there to me. A lot more offshore pumps and, and shoals and a uh, lot more grass, a lot more flats, a uh, lot more rock. And so I went over there, and that's just where I my two days closest as I could to the lake and uh, found a couple of big spawning flats over there that had a lot of old beds on it. You could tell where they just spawned uh, three weeks to a month and a half ago, just hundreds of beds everywhere. And uh, I knew all the fish had to be close and uh, they were. I mean, I just found the area where they really spawned. They hadn't moved far. They had just filtered out into the middle of this trough uh, on the outside edge of the grass. And there was a lot of scattered rock on some places and uh they were just they were big ones man i mean i didn't think they were but there there ended up there was a lot of good ones out there and uh it was just the deal i mean i was able to get down there hunker down in that one area and i did not have to run around a lot so i was able to make the most out of my four and a half hour day too which was huge so when you say ro a bad rotation what do you what do you mean by that can you elaborate on that a little bit well, just a lot of times out there on the, in, in a tournament, I, I'm kind of a, I guess, I would kind of consider myself like a guy in a horse race when, when the gate's open and horses take off. I'm the one kind of in the back of the pack, and I wait till the end to kind of get to the front. You know what I mean? That's kind okay. of how I am in my fishing in a day. I don't go straight for the throat right off the bat. I always kind of let it try to develop. Okay. Uh, I always kind of start to try and catch bigger ones first and save the stuff that I know I can go to to catch one or two if I need at the end of the day. I save that for the last. Okay. And so, but it, by doing that, a lot of times you can get in a bad rotation where you're just not getting bit. You've gone, you look at the clock and it's 1030 in the morning and you still haven't caught a, a good keeper yet. And you're like, dang, you know, uh, and it's, but you can recover from that because usually you'll still have four and a half, five hours left in a day and you can go and catch a few decent keepers real quick and, and mix in a big one there, here and there and with them. Uh, but when you at a place like St. Lawrence where I'm running 90 mile plus miles one way, uh, if I get down there and I don't get it going quick right out the gate, uh, it's hard to recover from that. You right. Before you know it, you've only got two hours left and you're sitting on, two two and a half pounders i mean there's not a lot of time to recover for that from that down there when it takes 20 plus pounds just to get a pat on the back you know what i'm saying um so it's one of them deals where if you don't get off strong there on the st lawrence you're going to get in trouble really quick it's not like a typical tournament where i can start off really slow and at you know 10 30 11 o'clock i still don't have much and, it, and it's okay because i know i've got three and a half hours left to still catch them right you know there you just don't have that Right. How long, how long was your run from Messina down to where you were fishing? I was running, I was getting gas every morning first and, okay. uh, it was taking me exactly an hour and three minutes to get to Alexandria Bay from okay. Messina. Right. And then from there to where I was fishing was another 25 minutes. Gotcha. So you were fueling up in, in, in Alexandria Bay then. Yeah, and, because I didn't want to have to deal with getting gas on the way back to, to right, weigh in because right. it's just too much. There's a lot of the big yacht boats out there and stuff, and, and you can get in trouble having to wait in line. I did that last year. Right, yeah, that's that's a, that's a juicy little tidbit right there of, you know, getting fueling up in the morning before you go so that it's out of the way, it's out of sight, out of mind. You're not, It's not in the back of your head because I, I can speak to the other side of that. I had a, a regional up there and – 
mid-June, and we were doing the same. We launched up at uh, Waddington, but everybody was making the run down, and myself included, and I was on the camp of getting gas in the end of the day. And I'll be honest, that that that's weighing in the back of your head, you know, knowing that you got to make a stop. It just it changes how you how you go about your stuff there. Um, but getting back to getting back to your tournament, what what were you doing? How were you catching them uh, as far as your techniques? Were you were you were you finessing them? Were you were you using the were you using a big rod? How how were you putting these fish in the boat? Now, I caught every one of them on a drop shot in a Ned rig exclusively. Uh, 90% of them, I would say out of the, let's see, I weighed in 15. Out of the 15 I weighed in, 12 were on a drop shot. Three was on a Ned rig. Uh, that I mean, it was just one of them deals where it was, uh, it didn't seem to matter a lot what what color you use, but it was a flat worm and green pumpkin party or brown back. I, I use brown back mostly. Uh, it just seemed like it was, it was all about getting in front of them. Uh, I was using a size two Gamagatsu drop shot, split shot hook in a, a, uh, half and a three quarter ounce arc tungsten drop shot weight. And I was throwing all that exclusively on eight pound, uh, Yosuri, hundred percent fluorocarbon, the T7 and, uh, a Phoenix M174, uh, medium action rod, spinner rod. So you were throwing, you were throwing a half ounce and a three quarter. Were you, were you fishing out there in the current? Like, is that why you were going so heavy on your drop shot weights? Well, there, there was a couple little places where I was catching them there, where there was like shoots over there on the Canadian side and the right. current would really be shooting through them places, uh, at like nine, 10 miles an hour. So that three, that three quarter ounce weight would, would allow that bait to slowly, you know, scoot back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was hard to keep a half ounce. You, you just could not keep a half ounce down there on the bottom. Uh, in that current, it was constantly pushing it to you. Uh, but I had on the grass where the grass would kind of point out to the current or whatever. There was a couple grass edges I was catching on. Those fish would kind of be sitting behind them grass edges where it made a point. I was able to use a half on those fish and catch them. So what kind of, what weight were you using or, uh, what shape were you using rather? Not weight, not what weight you just told us that the, huh. is it a cylindrical I or is it a teardrop? The bell shape. Okay. The the bell yeah or that's what i call it i think it's a cylinder what i don't know i just call it a bell shape now does that have the does that have like the circle line tie or does it have like the the one where you pull the line up into the wedge it's got the clip where you you run the line through and clip it on but i always tie a little granny knot at the top of it that's just to help it stay on there you know what i mean Gotcha. Now, how do you feel about that, that heavy of a weight, you know, like when you're fighting those fish, do you feel like that heavy of a weight, you know, pulling on your tag end? Does, does that affect, you know, how, the, how you have to handle them or do, does that, does that pull your hooks out? Like, cause that's, that's a lot, that's a lot of weight hanging at the other end of your, you know, other end of your tag, you know, usually drop shot yeah. fishing for a lot of people here in three quarter ounce. That's like, that's crazy. You know, it's like, why, why do you need three quarters of an ounce when you're drop shot fishing? Does it affect how you got to play those fish? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Because I was using such a long leader. I was using a two to two and a half foot long leader. That weight was so out of the way that I don't feel like it, it, it affected it in any shape or form. Um, that line's just so limp, you know, I mean, yeah, it's pulling and it seemed like it would be, but, uh, 
you you really don't feel the tension against the hook with the weight when it's in a when it when the fish was hooked. I, I actually tried to pay I, I paid attention to that on, on a couple I caught in practice. I thought, man, at three quarter ounce weight, it's gonna seem like it'd be easier for him to jump off. Uh, you didn't notice any pull against the hook in the fish's mouth with that three quarter ounce weight because there was such a distance between the hook and the weight. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it does. Talk a little bit about why you were going with such a long leader, two and a half, a two and a half foot leader. That's that's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty long. Uh, pressure uh, exclusively. I've started going to longer leaders because the fish are, especially since forward facing sonar has come out. They are really starting to incorporate a drop shot instinctively. I've watched them over the last two years. They're going to it just like they used to, but they're not biting it as much now as they were because they're starting to incorporate that uh, hook and that weight together. I know that don't make a lot of sense. You, people think they're dumb, but they're not at all. Right. Uh, I really noticed it on Champlain uh, in the after the tour event, I'm telling you, before the tour event, them suckers, and during the tour event, they would all run right to it, need it. After that, in the BFL, during the Toyota series, everybody's on drop shot these fish. They would actually run to your bait, and as soon as they seen it, like they would see it from a distance, and you could tell they thought it was legit when it would hit out there 10 foot from them. They would take off bell into it, and as soon as they seen it, they would turn and run the opposite way. They wouldn't do that with an Edric. They would run, run, run right onto it, need it but a drop shot they would see that weight see the hook knew what it was i guess instinctively but they'd already caught on it right. just seeing it just they knew they would run from it uh so at st lawrence i went i started like that with a normal drop shot probably a foot and a quarter foot and a half drop and i seen some fish do that went to that longer leader got that weight away from the hook more and it seemed like the fish would see the bait and the weight would be, there'd be enough of a distance that when it would go to the bottom, they'd follow it to the bottom. That weight was so far, completely forget about it and go ahead and eat it. Gotcha. Yeah. That... It was a commitment. That further away from that day. Gotcha. We we lost your connection there for a second, but we we heard the most of it. Um, Spencer, how yeah. how long was your how long was your 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 leader? Um, not from not from hook to weight, but from hook to to braided line. Assuming you were going braid to fluoro, is that the case? Were you going braid to fluoro? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's about twelve to fourteen feet because I was using such a long leader from hook to weight that I would want it to retie at least twice without having to change my leader. So I was I was making it about a fourteen foot leader. Um, I usually do about ten. Right. You know that's usually how I do it. I run my knot down into my spinning reel like one one revolution around, and I cut it off about the handle of the reel. That's usually how I do it. This time I was reeling it down. I was getting like three revolutions around the reel and cutting it off below the actual handle of the rod. So, uh, that was just, that was probably about 14, 15 foot. Gotcha. How deep were you fishing? How, how, how deep were these fish out there? I'm going to say I weighed in probably five to eight of them and 20 to 28 and the rest okay. of them were all 35 to 45. Oh, wow. So they were, a lot of your fish were out there deep, deep. Yeah, they were deep in, in the middle middle of that trough, 
just sitting behind isolated folders, whatever that there was, they would just be hanging out. There'd be three or four of them behind one folder fusing it for a current break. Gotcha. What what played more for you? Like what got you more bites, the drop shot or the Ned in this one? Drop shot for sure. Ned got bigger bites though. The Ned got the bigger bites, huh? That's interesting. Ned got the bigger bite. I, I think it's because them big smallmouth were too lazy to come up and get that get the get the bait on the drop <laughs> shot. <laughs> Believe it or not, I really think that they were too lazy to swim up that two and a half foot to get it. They yeah. wanted the bait right down there on bottom with them, uh, and it makes complete sense because yesterday we went and did day five, and one of the guys that was with us he actually dove down to one of the spots that I was catching where I wanted at. And he said, dude, there's like two six-pounders down there. And he said they are laying as tight to the bottom as they possibly can. He's like, they're like, literally their bellies are in cracks of the rocks. And it just, it's like they, that's where the really big ones wanted to be. You know, he showed me video of it after he come back up. And like the four-pounders, four-and-a-quarters, they were up, you know, a foot up off the bottom, just cruising around and behind them boulders. But them really big ones were laid right down on the bottom, like stomachs against the rocks. It was crazy. Wow. How heavy of a Ned rig were you going in that water? Three eights. I was doing three eights. And that was that you were able to get that down on the bottom and the current and all that stuff. And it, it, it that was really just getting the bigger bites. That's that's amazing stuff. It, it it's so funny how like if you talk to somebody that, you know, they're not so involved in the sport and they're not, you know, not really a fish head like us. You'll tell them something like that, like, oh, they were only eating a Ned rig or the bigger ones were eating a Ned rig. And like. You know, somebody will say like, "Oh, does it really matter?" But in in your instance, you you saw it mattered. Like you had a cameraman yeah. down there telling you that there's six pounders sitting down there in the rocks. Yeah. That's good intel. Yes, that's awesome. That's that's freaking awesome stuff right there. Uh, yeah, if anything, I would think you know time of day would change that up. Like when the sun was high in the sky, maybe the Ned would perform a little better than the. You know, middle bait, that type of thing. Yeah. Did, what, was there anything like that, Spencer? Was there a time of day associated with the baits? Uh, the drop shot was better early. The Ned was better after like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. That's uh, okay. what I noticed. And that's just when you started getting bigger bites, too. Uh, you know, I don't feel like the color was an issue. I, I do too with that a lot. I know color does make a difference, okay, a lot with uh whatever you're throwing whether it be a spinner bait or a chatter bait versus plastic but uh i don't think color is as important as technique um uh, there is a big difference between a drop shot and a head rig right i mean i don't feel like there's that big of a difference between plain green pumpkin and green pumpkin party you know what i mean mm-hmm. like if a fish wants something brown she's gonna eat eat whatever brown color you got uh but yeah i mean that head rig versus a drop shot was a huge deal that bait being so tight down there on the bottom uh in the drop shot being up and the funny thing is is you never ever got a goby bite on drop shot ned rig it was a non-stop gobies biting on it i mean constant gobies rattling around on it so it just goes to prove to me that those smallmouth were used to seeing the big ones were used to seeing their forage on the bottom that was the deal um i felt like with the drop shot that the color of the flat worm needed to be kind of a brighter color because I felt like the fish were the bait that they were eating up high was more of the L wives and stuff. And the gobies, you know, were that, you know, obviously a dark color 
So I was using a dark color on my knitter because they all stayed right down on bottom. Uh, so, I mean, if there was a color difference, that's what it was for that for me. But um, I did notice, like, as the sun got up, they did seem to want a, a Ned Rig color that had a little bit of a brighter belly on it. You know, I was throwing the Gobi Bright was the color I was throwing in the TRD. Uh, and the, uh, like I said, I, I started out every morning with green pumpkin, green pumpkin party on my flat worm, and I would go to brown back as the sun got up. But I, I don't know if it mattered. It, it's more. It was more for me that it mattered, right? You know. But Confidence. there was a substantial difference in the Ned rig and the drop shot as far as quality. Yeah, that's that's awesome stuff. The confidence in the bait is is huge, and you know you you're you're on a freaking roll, man. Like I was looking at your stats before before we brought you on, and you know you you definitely had some momentum rolling into this. It, if I'm not mistaken, the was it the James River? Was that the only tournament you didn't cut a check in this year? Yeah, and that's one cost me AOI. I finished 86 there, and all I had to do is finish uh, 55th, and I would have won Angler of the Year this year. So, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks. I never finished. That was, I think, my worst finish other than the James was at Pickwick, and I finished 37th there. So, had I just managed a 50th place finish at James, I would have won AOI too. Right. Uh, it's just one of them deals. I went to the James and pre-fished for five days before cutoff. And ultimately, I feel like that's exactly what kept me from winning Angle of the Year. I know it was one of them deals where I've never seen it before. I wanted to go on there and run into some place. I thought it was a smart move, but I ended up doing too much fishing. I was there, caught a lot of really good chicken backwaters, went back in practice, the official practice, and got bit in them places really quick by quality fish, like two and a half pounders, and left. And then when I went back to the tournament, that's all they were. They were all two, two and a half pounders. The five plus pounders had left out of there. And I feel like had I not went pre-fished and had just went on a whim like I normally do, I would have realized, hey, these are all two, two and a half pounders in these places. I need to figure out where the bigger quality fish are, and I probably would have found them. But when it comes tournament time, you just keep going through bite after bite after bite. You're like right. the next one's going to be a four, the next one's going to be a four, and it never happened. Right. And uh Man, I wish I could get a redo on that tournament. I really do. Right, right. Well, you had a uh, you, you had a, a nice consolation prize by winning the by winning the title <laughs> and getting the job done up there. Yeah. Man, it's uh it's a heck of an accomplishment. Jocelyn, we got a couple yeah, of man, questions. Have, oh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, Spencer, we have we have a message board on our show, and we had a couple of questions come through that we wanted to kick over to you. Uh, Jocelyn, what do we got on the message board? I have a couple for you, actually. So one of the main questions everyone's been asking is, when did you know it was time to switch from co-angler to the front of the boat? Oh, uh, I was just so tired of fishing out in the back. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I'd already fished BFLs as a pro and had one fishing out of the front of the boat at home at the BFL level. Uh, I just, I got my own boat right out of high school. Uh, was fishing a lot of tournaments there. I, I just, uh, it was one of them deals where they had never paid for Angler of the Year on the Collier side. I had never won Angler of the Year as a, as, out of the Collier side, but I had two seconds, a couple third, fourth, fifth place finishes. And in that last year, I fished Collier, which was my sixth year. They gave away a fully rearranger boat for co-anger of the year. 
and I was like, okay, we have to win it this year if I can use that to pay for my entry fees uh, for the following year out of the front. And I did. I won come out of the year, sold that boat for 40000 used that money to pay my entry fees up front. And, uh, man, I mean, it was just one of them deals. I was ready. I was just sick of fishing out of the box. Were there any lessons that you learned from being a co-angler to help you fish out the front of the boat? Oh, for sure. I mean, I fished with some really good fishermen out there, okay? Uh, I fished with all the really good guys from out west. Uh, fished with uh, just a lot of great fishermen. And uh, I learned, I got to fish with some of the guys that were really consistent multiple times and seeing how I got to fish with them when they had really good days, got to fish with them when they had really bad days and seeing how they mentally handled themselves on the water was a big deal too. Uh, some of them would just spaz out, man. They'd go an hour without a bite, just, just lose it. And then other ones would just completely just keep uh, alternating through stuff and uh, filtering through fish, let it develop. And, and uh, they would make it happen every day, you know. Uh, I learned that aspect of it from guys more than anything. Awesome. And then I do have a really cool question from Howie. He wants to know how much of an influence was your dad to you? And do you have any recommendations for any of us on how to get our youth interested in fishing? Uh, yeah, my dad was a huge influence. Uh, you know, obviously growing up with a father that fishes for a living, it was uh it was pretty cool i mean i thought my dad was like this hero you know i mean he, he did good he won tournaments and he just you feel like he's a superstar you know i mean when you're just a kid uh, but just giving me that passion for fishing and introducing me to it at such a young age uh, it was just i i really believe it's just kind of a natural thing it was just bred into me in, in my opinion because i just I don't even remember when I fell in love with fishing. I mean, it was just instinctually already there, I think. I mean, I've never remember doing anything else. Uh, I've just completely been obsessed with it ever since day one. And, uh, you know, he was a huge influence as far as getting me involved in it, keeping me out there, getting me into tournament fishing at such a young age. But there was a lot of people that played into it. My grandparents, you know, my dad was gone a lot. Uh my grandparents keeping me on the water. They had a big creek that ran through their property that was full of little smallmouth and spotted bass. Uh, my other grandparents had a couple big ponds that was just full of big largemouth. I mean, I was constantly on the water, whether it was a fish there or not. I mean, I was throwing a bait in it. I mean, I can remember throwing uh, a bait into mud holes just because I wanted to get some, you know, get my bait wet. I just wanted to feel like I was fishing uh, when he wasn't around uncles they kept me on the water uh, so that that was the deal it was just staying on the water uh, that's probably the biggest thing for the youth too is getting them involved in fishing uh, keeping them out there on a consistent basis not just a couple times a year that's something I've got to work with better better as a father with my son he's got that natural ability I see it in him I mean I don't I ain't even worked with him really on how to cast and stuff and he just already does it it's it's really cool to see and my dad's gone with us a couple times. He's like, that's exactly the way you work. He's like, I didn't have to teach you nothing. He didn't show me how to throw a bait cast or anything. I watched my dad do it, and I just started doing it. I mean, I was using a bait cast when I was four. Uh, my little boy's the exact same way. I mean, and I don't take him near enough 
but that's the deal. Just keeping them consistently out there on the water, taking them places where they can consistently catch fish when you do take them, that helps a lot. The bait caster at four years old. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's that's. I taught my daughter when she was thirteen, and I'm like, okay, I need a break. <laughs> I'm 28 she, years old, and I still don't know how to use it. I try. Now she could do the skippy under a tree with that thing. So this yeah, is it just takes time. Yeah, this this is the deal with the bait caster too. When I was four, is uh, my dad had me throwing a Zepco or something like that out there, and I mean it just. It wasn't as good as his. Mm-hmm. I could just tell because he would let me reel his fish in sometimes. And I was like, man, you're real so much better. I mean, I can remember thinking that when I was four. Anyways, I wanted to use his, and he would never let me. He said, oh, you're not big enough yet. You're not big enough yet. You know, until you get older. And I remember going out in the garage one day. He was in there sitting on the couch, and I'm like, I'm learning how to use this thing. I'm on showing. I went out there and got it. I mean, within like three minutes, I'm chunking that sucker halfway across the, rod, or the yard. And I went in there and got it. He said, yeah, come look. And I was taking that bait caster and just bombing it across the yard. I'd learned how to use it just in a matter of a few minutes out there, just playing with it. And ever since then, I was using it. You know, I, I look back. There was no more Zepcos for me after the age of four. Best way to learn is just jump in, you know. Instead of just getting halfway wet, get all yeah, the way I mean, wet. Might as well go. go. Full send. So, yeah, um, man, what is next for you uh, this year? Is this the last tournament of the year for you, or do you got more coming up? What's going on? I'm going to fly back into Albany on the 15th, and uh, then I'm flying a good buddy in with me from Arkansas and uh, old team partner when I got out of high school. He's from California. Another big thing for me on finesse fishing, he, he introduced me to a lot of He lived on Clear Lake shasta all them places for like 30 years he moved out here and i mean really taught me a lot as far as finesse fishing as well but he's flying up here with me gonna fish the toyota series as a co-angler uh we're gonna spend a week up here before the toyota series fishing champlain fishing lake george uh fishing lake ontario just he wants to come up here and fish in these big smallmouth lakes too and uh that's after that, I'm going to fish the Toyota Series Championship on Lake Gunnersville, and I am officially done for the year until January. When is the, the Toyota Series Championship on Gville? It is uh, November 3rd through the 5th on Gunnersville. November 3rd through the 5th. What do you what do you think will be going on down there uh, for that tournament? You think it'll be a frogging thing, punching? What's What do you think will be going on? Yeah, I would say frogging and flipping. There'll probably be some fish deep out around the outside, around the outside edges of the grass you can catch, uh, too. A lot of fish probably starting to migrate back into them creeks and stuff, following bait, uh, things like that. You know, I, I didn't want to fish the Toyota Series Championship on Gunnerville. I fished the one at Cumberland a couple years ago, and it was just an absolute disaster. There was 270 boats on the water, and everywhere you want to fish, it was just awful, and and uh, I was like, man, I'll never do this again. And uh, so I haven't ever fished. I fished. I jackpot some Toyota Series here and there, but never tried to qualify for the championship. Well, this year we went down to Gunnerfield to fish a tour event. And I was like, oh, my gosh, man, I didn't realize this place was this good. <laughs> I mean, just smoked. I had so much fun fishing down there. And I was like, man, I'm going to jump into that, that championship. But I'd really like to fish it. So I decided to jump in the Northern Open since it, it aligned with my schedule. I was already up nice. three anyways, and uh, so we're going to. Ever, I've been there once before in November. Gunnersville is actually where I fished my very first pro event ever. And okay. uh, in 2000, uh, 
12th. I fished my first one there in October. Uh, it was a series event and uh, finished 33rd. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was the event that the A-Rig was won by Paul Lyles with, and it became famous. So I'm looking forward to getting back there. For sure. Well, hey, that was 2012. Ten years later, you're going back. You're going back for the Toyota Series Championship, and you're going back as a Pro Circuit Champion. So you got a little, you got some more notches in your belt going back into that. Good luck at that, Spencer. Uh, we're going to be wishing you well. We want to see more trophies coming from you. I'm sure there will be. You know, you you have a long history of this already. Of you know, just strong, strong accomplishments over there on the MLF circuit. So. Good luck at the next two events for you, and uh, we'll be pulling for you, man. Thank you for giving us some time today. Yes, sir, man. Thank you all for having me on. Absolutely. Guys, Spencer Shuffield, the newest MLF uh, Pro Circuit champion, on with us today live on Bash U. Spencer, uh, thank you, and we will be talking to you again sometime soon. Sir, we'll see. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. That was Spencer Shuffield, the MLF Pro Circuit champion up on the St. Lawrence River. Awesome stuff there. We had some really, really cool information from him about how to get the bigger bites. And, you know, they went down there with a camera and saw just how some of these fish react. Really, really awesome stuff. He he actually said, Scott, that the, the six-pounders were, he thought they were, like, too lazy to come up and get a bait. And it's yeah. only two and a half feet. He, They're loving them goobies on the bottom, man. Why, <laughs> why go out to dinner when you just hang out at home? <laughs> I, I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. You know, back in the day, like, when the St. Lawrence really started to first come on and it really started to get the gobies and they started seeing these giant bass, Zona actually said that gobies to a smallmouth are like pizza wings and cheesesteaks for you and I. Yeah. So absolutely. <laughs> I guess I guess it makes sense. You know what I mean? If somebody's yeah. gonna put a cheesesteak or a wi wings right in front of you, yeah. and you don't got to move to get it, you're gonna eat it. Yeah. You know that, I mean? That's amazing. And, and it's amazing he was fishing a a, a Ned in twenty to thirty five forty feet of water. Like yeah. I haven't done that. Right. I would think it was a more of a shallow water bite. But right. Man, that that's impressive getting it down that far. Just increase your Nedhead rig. Yep. Ned. Yep. That's awesome stuff. So, uh, like we did last week, guys, we're going to give you a little Bash University exclusive content. Um, we're going to show a Chickamauga feature that we shot a few years back with Wesley Strader down there on legendary Lake Chickamauga. It's the Bash TV bucket list. Stick with us. Enjoy this segment. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about some things, some awesome features on the BashU website, ways you can maximize your experience as a BashU TV member and just get everything out of the program that you can. So um, thanks for watching the show up to this point. Here is the Bass University bucket list on Lake Chickamauga. Welcome to the Bash University Bucket List. Here at the Bash University, we travel around the country bringing to you fishing from the best lakes. And this episode, we're on Lake Chickamauga. It's famous. It's on an upswing. It's putting out giants. The Florida strain bass here have started to get huge. 
As a matter of fact, the Tennessee state record was just recently caught here at 15 pounds, three ounces, and there's tons and tons of double digit fish that are being weighed in every year. And here at the bucket list, hey, we're gonna teach you guys how to fish this lake. We're with Wesley Strader. We're gonna be spending some time with him. He's gonna be showing us all of his shallow water tactics that he likes to use here and really all over the country to be successful in that water that's this deep, way in the backs of places. And he's a spinnerbait guru. And Billy Wheat is gonna be with us. He's famous here on this lake. He's one of the premier guides in this part of the country putting his customers on double digit fish every single year. We're gonna be talking to him about the history of this lake, what makes this lake so special, as well as some fish and game folks, telling us why this lake is so nutrient rich, why there's so much bait fish, why the mussel beds are important, and why there's such big, big bass growing in this part of the country. So it's, it's gonna be a great time. We're gonna get out on the water, do a little bit of fishing. We're gonna have a blast, enjoy it, Bash University bucket list, Pete Luzak for Bash UTV. Wesley Strader. Take, take one. Take one. <laughs> um, when did you get started tournament fishing? How did you get started tournament fishing? Uh, and give, give, give me some highlights or, or lowlights about how that all got started. I, I actually got started tournament fishing when I was about um, probably 18 or 19 years old. It's kind of, kind of I, I would say later. I didn't start out like all these younger kids nowadays, but. Uh, you know, just fishing club, just little wildcatters out of out of out of Watts Bar, out of uh, Rockwood, out of Tom Fuller Park, and with my dad, and uh, that's basically how I got started. Did uh, how did that translate into uh, into this awesome career that you got going? The way that helped me to establish my career is, you know, I just I've always had a love for fishing, not just bass fishing, but the bass bug really hit me when I was about 13 or 14 years old, and and it just. Uh, one of the, the best things that my dad ever did for me was, uh, for me and my brother, was he bought us a, a 14 foot John boat with a, and all he had was a paddle. And that really, that's probably what really helped me more than anything is just, you know, being able to, um, you know, paddle around the cove that we lived in and, and figure out just how to catch bass at different times of the year without a depth finder, without a trolling motor. You know, if you wanted to catch a bass, you had to work for it. Like if the wind was blowing really hard, uh, you know, you, you did a lot of paddling. Me and my brother got in a lot of fights over who was going to paddle and hold us there while the other one cast. So, uh, you know, that that probably honed me more than anything as far as on my bass fishing skills and prepared me for the what I've what I've I've turned into. And you're fortunate that you had that. A lot of people don't didn't have a grandfather or father, uncle to uh, take them fishing. Um, and that's why a lot of a lot of our subscribers at Bass University are, are there because they never had that exposure. So we're glad to bring it uh, through guys like you. But um, we're here on the banks of, of Lake Chickamauga. Um, when did you first fish this? Uh, the first time I fished Lake Chickamauga was probably in the early early nineties. Um, Dad brought me down here. We'd, we 
it's really weird. So the, this lake doesn't fish like it used to. Uh, I can remember coming down here in January and February, and and, and this is gonna sound weird, but I remember frog rat fishing over the millful in Jan February and January. It was it was. Uh, I, I don't know why it doesn't happen now, but used to the millful would stay on the river all the way through. You know, it would still be there. I mean, I don't know. I think it's a the lake process. They, they don't draw the lake. They draw the lake down further than they used to. But uh, probably the early 90s. I mean, uh, and it was it was pretty special then, but it's really special now. My advice, if you're if you're wanting to come to Chickamauga and fish, is uh, th there's certain times of the year that you're going to catch the bigger fish, and and most of the time that's from, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say late January, early February through uh, the end of March. Uh, what happens is here around. Uh, we're at it right now. This is April, what, the uh, 15th, April 15th, 14th, something like that. And uh, they start bringing the water up. It's supposed to be full between April 15th and uh, May, May the 15th. But what happens is these fish, uh, before that water comes up, it's got them concentrated in, in certain areas. And, uh, and they're in ditches and, and things like that. And then these big females will come in and they'll feed up. And it depends on how you like to fish. If you like to fish out off the bank, you want to go to the lower end. If you want to fish shallower, you need to fish, you know. You can fish shallower and lower end too, but mostly all the stuff in the upper end of the lake is shallow water fishing. And I'm going to say, you know, like I said, from the, the 1st of February into January to the end of March, it's all lipless crankbaits, uh, square billing, Alabama rigs, um, even some spinner baiting, a little bit of spinner baiting. But uh, for the most part, that's when your bigger, 90% of your big fish are caught is in that month. That's when they're the biggest, the healthiest. That's when they're feeding, they're, they're in for the uh, pre-spawn, they're feeding up for the riggers of spawning. And then once you get past that, you get into like when the water comes full, it, there's a lot of fish going to bed. You can sight fish a little bit if you want to. Uh, they get kind of hard to catch here on the bed. They're not, uh, the TVA, the water fluctuates a little bit up and down. and Anytime that happens, fish get a little bit, they get a little spooky, they don't want to bite that well. And then, you know, you know, you got the spawn, it lasts for probably till the end of mid-May, the spawn will last, even so we can still have fish spawn in June, but not very many. And then you get to the river ledges, that's when all the fish migrate out, you know, like we'll have a shad spawn, and a shad spawn is usually spinner bait, uh, swim bait, crank bait, uh, and you're looking for, the, actually looking for the shad spawning on whether it be grass, rocks, docks, or whatever. Uh, and then once the shad spawns over with the, the fish, they, they go out to the ledges and their haunts, and that's when people, you know, they throw, you know, 10XDs, big swim baits. Uh, Alabama rigs, okay them, not as good as it is, you know, earlier in the year, but uh, that pretty much takes you through the gamut of it. And then, then comes my favorite time. All the grass gets up, You've got grass from one end of the lake to the other, and then you get you can you can pull out your big flipping sticks and you ounce and half range weights and you you plop in peas and you know zoom uh, zoom z hogs and then you can flip the grass and frog and, and that lasts all the way through wintertime and all the way through the fall to the wintertime. So uh, that that's my favorite time of year is when you get to punch that grass and you'll find groups of fish in that grass and it's 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 pretty fun. You ain't, you're not gonna catch a lot of 10 pounders doing that, but uh, a lot of three to five, six, seven pound bass. That's all, I didn't know there was punching going on here. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. I had no idea. Oh, from about 
July, August, July or August through, well, all the way through October when they drop the lake. Even after they drop the lake, there's still a lot of grass present unless we get a lot of rainfall or, you know, heavy current, it rips it out, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It mean, it, it's, it's aggravating when you get later in the fall, it's a little bit aggravating because you'll go long stretches without getting bites, but when you get a bite, you'll, you'll usually within the next, you know, 100 yards, you're gonna catch some and you'll fish all day long to find another stretch, but that's my favorite thing to do is punch that grass and catch them. Why is Chickamauga Lake, is it Lake Chickamauga or Chickamauga Lake? Lake Why? Chickamauga, Chickamauga Lake. We call it just Lake Chickamauga. We, I just call it Chick. The chick. The chick. Why is Lake Chick Chickamauga called a bass angler's dream? Uh, the reason Lake Chickamauga is probably a bass fisherman's dream is uh, you've got every type of fishing scenario that you can want. We have creeks that come in and are gin clear. We have uh, we have grass. We have river bars. We have ledges. We have rock bluffs. We've got just about every type of fishing scenario that you could have in, a, in an impoundment. Uh, we've got current. We've got no current. We've got uh, we've got the Hiawassee River that runs in. It's usually always stained. Uh, it's uh, I, we we docks, rocks, sticks, twigs, branches. We got it all here. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's not just a a one-dimensional fishery. It's not like where you go somewhere where it's uh, like say up north in a smallmouth fishery where it's just you know just sand. I mean, and and we we've got lots of very different uh, types of uh, cover and. Uh, and uh, we are a target-rich environment, I would say. And giant largemouth yeah, bass. And I, yeah, and on the <laughs> other aspect, we have a giant largemouth bass that live here. So uh, uh, it's one of those places, you know, and, and, and the great thing about it is, is it's, it's centrally located. You know, uh, you don't have to drive uh, 22 hours to get to uh, Lake uh, Falcon Lake or uh, Lake Amistad to go bass fishing. It's uh, it's pretty centrally located, and uh, I know a lot of your viewers uh, or subscribers on the Bass University. Uh, you know, a lot of those are you know mostly east easternly located, or you know, uh, uh, I would the Midwest and that range. I mean, so it's a it's a lot closer destination to uh, you know catch that bass for your lifetime. All right, here we are, we're, we're at Lake Chickamauga, uh, and we're, we're talking about spinnerbaiting. And uh, we're here, it's, uh, it's late April, middle April, I shouldn't say late April, it's mid-April. Uh, we got a few fish on the bed, a lot more coming. Uh, fish are gonna spawn around structure. They're gonna be close to, the reason, the reason they're gonna spawn around structure is because when the fry, when their when their babies hatch, their fry hatch, they're gonna have to have a place where they can, the fry can go to to to, to hide, and also that the bass can, that the the male bass can protect them. So, what well, you're most of the time, like at this time of year, I'm gonna be fishing visible cover, uh, and a lot of times it's gonna be there's there's two ways I'm gonna fish a spinnerbait. I'm gonna I'm gonna cast around the cover, and I gotta discern during the course of the day whether. Uh, I need to reel it fast or I need to reel it slow, what blade combination I need to come up with. Like here in this cove, it's just, it's a little bit cleaner than I'd like for the blade combination I got, but I'm just gonna go through the motions of what I like to do. I like to like get as close to the, the target as I can and I'm gonna buzz it. I'm gonna buzz it like if the water's three feet or shallower, I'm gonna buzz that spinnerbait. I'm gonna keep it up high. I'm gonna keep it higher in the water column where I can see it. 
And sometimes when I come by a post, I'm gonna twitch it to try to get to try to get a reaction strike out of it. What that does is when I twitch that spinnerbait, those blades are gonna clank together and it's gonna make a noise. It's gonna make a it's gonna get a flashing noise at the same time. So if you got a, a fish that's reluctant to bite or it doesn't want to bite, it's gonna kind of just bite out of instinct, out of, out of reflex. So uh, I, I'll give you one ex example. One time I fished a tournament with a buddy, uh, and this is, this, is, this is really weird. A lot of times you think a fish, when it gets on a bed, the only way you can catch that fish is like putting a crawl or a piece of plastic in there and aggravating that fish till it can bite. Uh, I actually caught a five something pound largemouth in a tournament and the only thing that I could get it to bite was the spinnerbait. And what I'd have to do is I'd have to cast it past the bed, let the spinnerbait get down on the bottom and start winding it real slow. And when I get to the bed, I'd have to wind it real fast past the bed. And that fish just bit that spinnerbait out of, out of reaction. He didn't bite it because he was hungry. He just bit it because he was trying to run it off. But that's just, you know, one time that that, that worked. And some, it, it'll work some, a lot of times, but not every time. A lot of times when you're fishing early in the spring, like during the spawn like this, is a lot of times you'll, you'll get in the back of one of these pockets and you'll see like a dark spot. And most of the time that dark spot's a stump. And a lot of people don't really, they don't really concentrate on stumps. And when the water's at the position it is now, like it's not all the way up, it likes about two foot coming up. So when these fish, when they come up to spawn, like I said, they wanna be around something to spawn like so their fry will have a place to hide when they hatch so stumps are good they're really key things this time of year when the water's not all the way full and uh, a spinnerbait's a good way to uh to uh, get them to get them to react to it so you might not catch them but they'll come up and show themselves and then you can go back and and throw something maybe a wacky worm or a pitch a, pitch a some type of soft plastic like a brush hog or something like that to it to get them to bite. Sometimes they'll, they'll show themselves. They won't always eat that spinnerbait, but they'll, they'll push it. They'll come up and just like swirl at it. And that's just to like, hey, I'm letting you know to get out of here. But it also gives the, hey, I just gave myself away tip trick. There's a bed right there, I see the bed. There's another in there. There he is. That actually come up and eat it off the bed. A little better one. That actually come up and eat it off the bed. Got it right, right through the, right where he's supposed to. Right by a stump. That's just another example why people think, you know, a lot of people think, well, a fish won't bite off the bed, but it, it, it will. Like if you can, 
get something in front of it, and it's flashy, blingy. I call it blingy. If old blingy comes by, you know, sometimes they'll bite it. So. Now we got a laydown coming up. We'll talk about a laydown. This is not really the type of laydown. This one isn't. It's a little bit too bushy. But 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 one key component to throwing a spinner bait in a laydown. You always want to come with the limbs. Like you don't want to go pull up to a say that laydown was facing that way. I don't want to pull up and start throwing my spinner bait out here and wind it against the limbs. You always want to come, see how the limbs are all facing toward me? You want to come with the limbs. Because if you go against the limbs, a lot of times it'll, it gets in a fork of the a fork of the tree and it doesn't, you can't get it through there, you get hung up. This one's a little bit more bushy than I would prefer. I mean, I can't really get it into the paces I'd like to throw my spinner bait, but this is all goes back to uh, you want to be able to be a, a fairly, this is why you practice casting. You want to be able to like really pick that apart and throw it uh, throw it into hard to reach places. What this does is too is, <clears throat> there may have been 15 guys coming up there and throwing that, throwing that in that brush pile that lay down, but you may have had four, 15, those 15 guys may not have been really good casters, and if you can get that one cast into an area that uh, that they didn't cast, that may be the one place that you that, that you get a strike from that they did that they wouldn't have. And there's only one thing about pine trees: they got pine cones, and pine cones are not good for anything but for hanging. See, here's a, here's a good example of a laydown. See how the limbs are facing. It's not as bushy, and all the limbs are laying out, uh, laying toward us, and there's no pine cones. Key there, no pine cones. And I, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, especially like in the fall of the year, yo! And every once in a while you'll just hang, you know, you'll catch, you'll, you'll I call it barking it. You'll get, your line will actually get caught It'll get caught in the bark. It ain't really that your that your bait got hung. It just gets barked. But like in, especially in the fall, it's not so much in the spring. Like a lot of times in the spring, you roll up on a laydown, you're gonna make four or five casts to it, and you're gonna go on. Um, but in in the fall, it, it's really critical in the fall. Like I could pull up on that laydown right there and throw. I might, I might make 25 or 30 casts of that single laydown. And uh, it may be the 25th cast before he bites. It's just, it's a, that's a typically a fall thing. It just, they just, they get real lethargic. They don't want to bite in the fall, but in the spring, usually if there's one in that tree within two or three casts, I'm gonna, he's gonna bite. And especially if it's on a, 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 a optimum fish biting or weather conditions, if you get the right day, it's, it's usually it's a, a one caster. And what I'm trying to do is anytime I'm throwing around cover like that, I'm trying to bounce that thing and bang it off the limbs. 
just something to give it that erratic action. That's a lot of times why when you're twitching it, that's what you want to do. You're getting it that erratic action. It's like with a, if you've ever had a crankbait, when you're, the, the, the best crankbaits are the ones that you're winding it and it, it, for no reason, it changes directions. I call that hunting. And see, with a spinnerbait, I can make it hunt. I can make that thing do whatever. I mean, like here's a brush pile right here. Out off the bank, I can twitch that thing. I can make it just do erratic stuff. Whereas a, a crankbait, he has to do it on, you know, it's just, you may have one that does it and one that doesn't do it. But with a spinnerbait, you can make it do different things. So when you pitch that in a mat, you want it to free fall. You want it to free fall down through the mat. And like I said, 90% of the time they get it on the drop. So every once in a while you need to pull it up, shake it underneath the mat, right up under the canopy, and then let it fall back. Sometimes that's a that's when they bite it the best. But most time it's on the initial fall. Something else too, you want to look for irregularities in that grass, like any kind of point, like if there's a point sticks out in a grass line, that's that's a high percentage spot. But if they're in the mats, way back in the mat, you want to look for like an irregularity, like a like a stick sticking up in the grass or a or a discoloration in the in the grass, something that just gives it a different something different. For some reason, bass like to be on isolated stuff, so anything that's irregular it makes it isolated. Come on, go down through there. You know, uh, we're here in the fall on the Tennessee River, it's Lake Chickamauga, and you know, this is one of one of my favorite times of the year to fish because these fish start getting in this matted vegetation. They live in the grass all year long, but uh, the grass starts to mat it real good, and uh, you just never know when you when you throw the frog or you you dive that big big rain sinker down through the mat, what's going to be on the other end biting it. So it's just it's, it's exciting times in the fall in the Tennessee River. How's that, Jeff? You know, uh, something else I'll talk about, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, hearing the bluegill pop and you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear more activity as the day goes on in this grass, but that's just due to the fact that when it gets hot, uh, it's more bug production, and then it fires the bluegill up and they start eating. So don't be discouraged if first thing in the morning you pull up to a mat and there's no, there's no bluegill activity, you'll hear it popping and sucking, you'll hear it later on in the day, but don't get discouraged first thing in the morning. Now, if you pull in on it like middle of the day and there's no activity, you just need, probably need to just go ahead and Vamoose, because it's uh, 
I haven't had a lot of success, you know, later in the day pitching to this grass if there ain't some activity in it. Another thing that people, a uh, friend of mine taught me years ago is uh, these fish in this grass. Like if you're frog fishing, they'll feed about two or three times in this grass. And if you're there when they're feeding, it's lights out. If you're not there when they're feeding, you would not You would swear there's not a fish in that grass mat. I had a friend explain that to me one time. He actually took me to a place where there's a big wad underneath a mat, like hundreds of bass. You could not get a bite. But we hit it like three or four times that day until finally we caught it. We caught one of those windows when they was feeding. And when they're feeding, it's fun. When they're not feeding, it's just casting. <laughs> I watched him wake to get that thing. Shark through the grass to get it. Ah! Not what we're looking for, but guess what? So I said, you don't never know what's going to bite you on the other end of your line when it drops through that mat. Really thought that was a good one, though. I saw the mat go, woof, and I'm like, woof. He's coming after it. And he got it. Good times, my friend, good times. Pulled it back up there and shook it. I said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I really believe in what my eyes and my hands are telling me. It's a bite. Come on, Lord, one great begging. <clears throat> That's a fish. Wow. That's a fresh shell.
it stopped about halfway down, I thought it was. It got me excited. Got me a little excited. Yep, this one I thought. See him busting in that grass? No, not now, I ain't. It's not a bucket list bass, but it's a bass. I didn't even get to twitch it. Never good when you catch one first cast like that on something new. Might as well lay it down. Half, half serious. I don't like catching one first. Oh, like, oh my God, did you see the size of that one? Look at the one behind the mat back there. There's a pile of them out here right now. Dude, they was a giant back there on the back side of the grass after them minutes. Got him with all three trocars. Dude, there was a giant back there on the back side. Back side of the grass. 
There's no way I can throw that spook over and get it out of there without getting hooked. They've got them little minnows. Oh, right there he is, right there. Let's see if I can get him to bite it. I wish I had one with me. They used to make a, a frog. I think I got it in my box, but I don't got one that's shag colored. Dang. Oh my gosh, did you see that right there? Holy crap. That's a bass. 100%. No, those are, that's the shad swimming tortoise. That was the bass up in them. See that on that swim bait. That's crazy, man. All that flipping all the way down there and pick a swim bait up and throw. It's almost like a horny toad bite. I mean, blew up on it. Boof. All right, I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's go back up there where we started the other morning where I caught several. Let me get that right there first. So all you gotta do is talk about leaving and you'll catch one. Look how fat and healthy they are. Some old healthy river bass. God, he knocked the crap out of that thing. Just fat, this old fat river bass. Look at it. You don't see many healthy like it right there this time. Some 
old river bass. Hey, let's just go around and up through here a little bit more. <laughs> Dude, that thing went through that mat and it went thunk. I was like, come on, baby. Be the one. I did too, because it went thump. And dude, what's weird, both the bites I've had down through here has been out here on the edge. They ain't none of them been over there. Yep. one just on a fat one the only way I could get him by it was uh winding across the top of the water real fast but they had to be actively up feeding in them too it's crazy but that's exciting Crushing it. I think we just figured something out. It's called Lake Chickamauga. It's awesome. And I hope you enjoyed it. This is Pete Luzek for the Bash University Bucket List. Welcome back to Bass University live here on a wonderful Tuesday coming from the Tackle Direct studios. That's a wrap on the Lake Chickamauga bucket list. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. That was an amazing shoot we did down in Tennessee. Our amazing camera crew, Mr. Jeff Olson, Mr. Nate Hogan, uh, Mark Devin might have been on that shoot. I can't remember. Kobe Pellerito flying a drone. Uh, if I missed anybody in the credits, my apologies. But that was a fun shoot. I uh, hope you guys in <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed it. Yes, and there was 
a Jocelyn Ray in the credits <laughs> there as well. Every time I see that, I just get excited. She's the coordinator. She's famous. Um, some of you guys may know her. Some of you guys may not. <laughs> but if you don't, she's the one that makes it all happen around these parts of town. Um, so just like last week, guys, we are going to talk about um, some awesome stuff on the BU website. Ways to enhance your experience using the BU platform. And one of the things that we we do to try to give our customers a better experience is we're always growing our member benefits page. And actually coming out of break, we were just talking about this, Scott, the yeah. the awesome companies that we work with. And what do they do? What what are the what is the member benefits page, Scott? Yeah, it's all about where our benefit our members can take advantage of the discount relationships we set up with different companies, right? So we're always looking to bring you the best and in innovative baits and companies out there. Obviously, we've got Rapala. It's kind of more around big anchors, missile baits, and then we're at iCast. Wow, the innovation there was insane, right? We're going through all those hundreds of booths there and finding other vendors that we're like, hey, these are unique baits that our, our customers, our membership like might like. So we negotiate a nice discount for them and offer that in our membership page. And once you log in, you click over to the benefits page and you'll see the special codes you put in the, the browsers on their websites to, to get those discounts. So always something new there. So continue to check those out. Right. Yeah, guys, it's it's constantly growing. The benefits page is. It's, it's real easy to access. I'm going to pull up our... Uh, our Bashu TV website here and just click around and show you how to get there. Uh, we'll go to the benefits page for a brief second because we can't show it for too long because we can't give away those codes unless you're a BUTV member. That's and right, they're top secret. That's right, top secret codes. But now is a great time to get signed up. You can join the program for 30 days for free using the code BULIVE30 or you can take advantage of our Bass Extravaganza and get just... For $49.99, $49, guys, you can get six months to the website and a $25 Tackle Direct gift card. You know you're going to buy Tackle anyway. We just want to help you save some money. But so if you're looking to check out those member benefits uh, on your Bashu TV account, it's real simple. You just log in. We'll log in as me. Boom. I'm going to bring the website over here. And it's right here. Right under your My Account tab, there's a Member Benefits tab right there. All you got to do is click that Member Benefits tab, and you got all these awesome discounts with the companies that we work with. Um, guys, just to name a few, there's Rapala, there's Cashin, there's Missilebait. We're talking about saving like 40%, up to 40% off your Rapala baits. So if you're a DT6 thrower, we're going to help you save 40% on your uh, DT6s anything Rapala, all your missile baits, your D-bombs, if you're a flipper, missile jigs, all that good stuff. We got benefits for all those companies. Um, one of the other cool things that you can do with your BU membership is we have an app. Um, I don't know if everybody, if everybody has already checked that out or not. If you've seen it, great, keep using it. But the Bass University is now on the app platform. It can be found on, uh, I or what is it? 
iTunes, no, uh, <laughs> App Store, <laughs> Apple, 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 App, App Store. Store. Yeah, iTunes would be music. We're not there yet. We're working on making music, but we're not. Oh Lord, <laughs> we're not there yet. We'll leave that up to Mike Olson, Jeff's son. We're he's the miss her. he's the musician <laughs> of the company. <laughs> yeah. So, guys, download the Bashu TV app. It's on the App Store and the Android Marketplace. One of the coolest things that you can do with our app is you can watch videos and watch them in front of other programs on your phone. So, for example, what I mean by that is if you're going on a road trip and you are you got your GPS up and running and you're going six hours away and you want to get some BUTV in, listen to a seminar while you're driving, that's what the app is awesome for. You can have the seminar running behind your GPS and you're just listening to the audio. So that's a great way to be able to listen on the go, anywhere you want to be. You can be getting that Bash UTV content while while you're doing pretty much anything. Another awesome thing we have on our website is the forum, right? The forum is something that it doesn't get talked about as much as it should, in my opinion, Scott, because the forum <clears throat> is where our members and all the instructors and the professional anglers that we work with, everybody gets to interact on the forum. And just like the member benefits page, it's up at the top of the screen. Uh, if you're logged in on a desktop, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, you just you just click on forum there, and these are the topics that we have up there right now, actively being talked about. We have an ask of the pros section, a bait and tackle section, Bash University information, Doc Talk, Marine Electronics, social for people that want to just meet up and and fish. Guys, as a BUTV member, you know we want to give you all the resources you need to improve your fishing and improve your fishing fast. And the Bash University Forum is just another way that you're going to be able to do that. You can talk about anything that you want to go to. Let's just totally flip the script a little bit. Go to winter gloves in January, right? Somebody wanted to know what gloves are the pros using and recommending for winter bass fishing when the temps start hitting 45 and below. And what you have here is you have all these different responses where guys are just recommending what they use hey this works for me it might work for you right so there's no there's no harm in getting more information um and the forum is a great way to do that you know what's a really cool part about that rich what's that so you get that type of information from the forum and you jump right over to your membership discount you go to rapala yep talk about winter they got winter summer gear oh yeah you name it so and you know Forty percent off. So yeah. I'll never now, Rich, more than question: Like, <laughs> so one one question that I get a lot is, if it's a specific time period right now, so say it's about to be changing from summer to a little bit of fall, right? Where, how can you search that in our videos? Like, okay. So if you want to, if we want to learn the f- say f- fishing in the fall, yeah, I would okay. say like maybe fall or like. It's different everywhere, obviously, right. but if you're, say you are about to go on the Chesapeake and okay. you want to fish for September, what would you start looking well, at? Well, you know, there's a couple ways you can do that on our website. I'll bring our, our website back up on the screen here again so everybody can see. Uh, the first way that you could do that is just by going to the videos tab and then going to video topics, right? One of the features that we have in the video topics is seasonal information. Right, so here's the seasonal information tab, and we have all of the seasons here, uh, including the shad spawn, which is basically its own season, and it can really be.
be different times of the year depending on where you are in the country. But getting back to your question, Jocelyn, if you wanted to learn about fall fishing, we're just going to click on the autumn tab and all these videos pop up where our instructors are breaking down how to fish in the fall, how to adjust, how to make changes based on what the weather patterns are doing. Um, there's just a plethora, a plethora of information here. The other way that you could do it is just type in fall fishing into the search bar. Yeah, look at that. That's pretty cool. Having a search bar is awesome. Oh, yeah. And then you get videos on exactly how to fish in the fall, specific videos. I just clicked on one from John Murray, Seasonal Approach to Deep Water Bass Fishing. That was a great video um, we, uh, we shot with him a few years ago. So there's, I mean, there's so many ways that you can get the full bass you experience and you can really break down exactly what you want to learn about on our website from A to Z. It's there. There's over a thousand videos. We're releasing three new videos a week. And, uh, that doesn't, that, that doesn't change this week. We're releasing three this week as well. Yesterday we released Pete Gluzek, uh, how to use your sonar to improve your bass fishing experience. That was a remastered video that we shot a couple years ago with Pete, and he breaks down how he uses sonar electronics to find and catch bass fast. Uh, also, this week we are going to be releasing Rick Williams. Some a uh, Rick Williams, which is an interview. Uh, we interviewed him down there at the Classic. That's another cool thing that we do is we have interviews with. Uh, with ind industry people, anglers, different people from different companies in the fishing industry, and we learn about you know what they do. And Rick Williams, Rick Williams, he actually gave us a a little little tidbit on how pressure affects fish, and not pressure the way that you might think about it with fishing pressure, and you know a lot of lines and baits in the water. We're talking about atmospheric pressure, how how the barometer changes and what it does to fish and you know what the barometer is actually doing when pressure goes from high to low because fishing is different when it's sunny as opposed to cloudy and windy and rainy. Um, what else have we got getting released this week, Josh? Uh, we also have Greg De Palma. Um, he is releasing uh, when to choose the t right top water. When to choose the right top water. That one is an awesome seminar. Um, it is top water time right now. It's, is it's, it? it? It really is. You know, go, going into the fall, a lot of places across the country, the fish kind of get a little, uh, a little stingy, if you will. And the one way to get them to react and still commit to a bait is by going on top. So that's a really good one. There's a there's a section in that video that I really enjoyed where he's talking about popper style baits uh, and how they're different and the different the different ways to to utilize them. And uh, that's a that's a really good one. Like I said, we're releasing three new videos every single week. So we're keeping the content fresh for you guys. And we'll be coming back live again next week on Tuesday at 11 a.m. You can catch us where you always do on Bash UTV on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, everybody that watched today, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. And we hope to see Everybody, next week on the show as well, is there anything else we got to cover here today, Joss? Or are we nope, I think you, you no, wrapped great. it all up. Okay. Great job.
Thanks all for attending, guys. All right. Guys, that was Bash University Live. We had the chance to talk to Spencer Shuffield. Congratulations to him again, Spencer. Thanks for giving us your time. And we will see everybody next week. BassBoatForSale.com is the world's premier bass boat listings business. We focus on driving premium web traffic to our main website, business Facebook page, business Instagram, and our business YouTube channel, providing your bass boat listings the best buying traffic and top-notch exposure. Whether you need to sell your bass boat or are looking to buy a bass boat, it's simple. We give boats exposure so buyers shop and sellers list. One-time listing fee, no commission, and boats list until they sell. BassBoatForSale.com. Check it out. AquaView, the leader in underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for, catch more fish, have more fun. AquaView. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. It is the sensitivity of the rod. That are made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod, 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick. Every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out doing a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I've found that can withstand my hook set. Boom, goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together, the One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count.